0: as we've been saying and will continue to say we are asking god to help us make room for the mission of god in our personal lives now you probably already figured this out but unlike a facility or even the you know the pot we've talked about the potted plant and we talk about expansion and so unlike those things You and I, the the one thing that really contains our lives really can't be expanded. I'm talking about time, right? All of us have the same amount of it. 24 hours in a day, seven days in a week, 52 weeks in a year, and none of us know how many of those years we get, right? So every day... We kind of start back at zero. It's a new day. What's going to happen? How am I going to use my life? So if we're praying, if we're saying, Lord, help me make room in my life for the mission, and I can't make more time, then what I'm really needing to do is make the most of my time. I'm needing to use it as strategically, as intentionally, as intentionally, as I possibly can. It's interesting, Paul, in Ephesians 5, he knew this. He spoke to this as he was writing to the church in Ephesus. Ephesians 5, 15 and 16, he said, Look carefully, then, how you walk. Or, as we've been talking about, Look carefully, then, how you live your life. Not as unwise, but as wise. So we might perk up right there and go, Okay, I don't want to live unwise, I want to live wise. So what does it mean to be careful to live as wise? It's making the best use of the time. For the days are evil. The world, the flesh, the devil, all of that is bombarding you and me and and really trying to get us to waste our time. And, and that's a struggle, isn't it, right? It's just hard to sort through all of the possibilities, all of the things that we could do day in and day out. So today, we are going to try and get at what would it look like for us to make the most of our time. Now, let's not forget where we've come. This, this whole thing fits together. So la- two weeks ago, we talked about vision, right? And the vision was a life. And it was a life lived in relationship, in intimacy with Christ. It was described as a walk, a walk in Christ Jesus the Lord. Now, Paul, this is in Colossians 2, 6, and 7. When he described it, he said this life or this walk, it resembles some things. First of all, it resembles a fruitful tree deeply rooted in fertile soil. Remember that? So just imagine a a huge tree with fruit everywhere and it's deeply rooted in fertile soil. It also resembles the wonder of a towering structure being built up. I I talked about like a skyscraper, like they're awe-inspiring. This kind of walk is like that. It's also like the resilience of a legal decree established in the highest court. So this kind of life has some resilience to it, just like when the gavel drops and someone is declared not guilty. Lastly, this walk resembles a river of gratitude flooding its banks. Now that sounds like a pretty good life, doesn't it? It's the kind of life I want to have, and I bet you it's the life that you want to have. So that was our vision, an intimate walk with Christ Jesus the Lord. Prayer is at the heart of that walk. Those two can't be separated from one another. If you're going to walk that way, you're going to have to pray. And Paul modeled that for us in uh, 2 Thessalonians 1. And just by the way, as an aside, if you'll read through uh, all of the epistles, Paul wrote some, Peter wrote a couple, James wrote one. Every time you see I pray or we pray, just make a note of that. And you'll learn to pray if you'll learn those those prayers in there. It's a great model. So in 2 Thessalonians 1, Paul says we always pray that our God may do three things. First of all, that he will make you worthy of his calling. And remember, Jeff talked about being made fit for whatever it is God has called us to be and to do. And then let's think about that. Like, What are some things God's called us to be? He's called us to be salt, he's called us to be light, he's called us to be gracious, kind, faithful, fruitful, loving, mature, right? So Paul is praying that God would make them fit, which would look like all of those things. Secondly, he uh, prayed that God would fulfill their every resolve for good work and every work of faith by his power. So Paul's assuming that you guys are Christ followers, so you want to be about the work that Christ gave to you. I'm going to pray that every time you have that impulse, that you want to be faithful in that, I'm going to ask God to make that a fruitful effort, to bring that to bear. And then lastly, he prays that we, that God would be glorified in us and we would be glorified in him. That there would be a display of God's glory in us as we walk with him. To summarize that, Paul's prayer was that we might be made fit, faithful, and God-honoring. Fit, faithful, and God-honoring. So we have a vision We have this prayer that's related to that vision. And this morning, we're going to talk about putting that prayer and vision into action. So it's going to get real today. We're going to talk about what does this life actually look like day in and day out as we are investing our time. or investing ourselves in our time. We're going to talk today about legacy. We're going to look at 2 Timothy 2. Um, The summary of this morning is that that legacy is a devotion to discipleship, a devotion to discipleship. If you and I are going to make room for uh, the mission of God in our lives, if we're going to make the most of our time, then we're going to have to reserve space for discipleship. It's just as fundamental as it could possibly be to the Christian life. Nowhere in church history has there ever been a time when the church as a whole, like the universal church, would have wondered, should we do this discipleship thing? They would have always said that's just as basic, as fundamental as it could possibly be. So we're going to have to. If we're going to make the most of our time, we're going to have to reserve space for discipleship. Now, what is that? What is a biblical disciple? Um, the, the technical term is learner. So in the original language, that's it. If you see disciple, you know it means learner. And that is a necessary quality of a disciple. You need to be a learner. But if that's all you are, you've fallen short. It's actually far bigger, actually far more wonderful than that. So to just say learner is an insufficient explanation. Let me give you three characteristics of a biblical disciple. First of all, he or she is a believer. Now that sort of sounds like, yeah, no duh. Um, It has to start with that. It has to start with a person understanding the gospel, realizing they need Jesus Christ to die on a cross for them so they could be brought into a relationship with God. That's an essential first step. It's an essential characteristic of a disciple. They believe, which associated with that is worship. So a believer has transferred the worship that they once gave to the things of this world or even to themselves. They transfer that over to Christ. That's a disciple, but not only that. A disciple is a follower Remember how many times Jesus said, follow me? So if you're a disciple, you're a follower. And the key to that is obedience. Now this obedience isn't to get something from God. It's because you already got it. It's like you're already in relationship with a God of the universe, completely forgiven, made righteous. So you obey, you follow because of what he's already done for you. So a disciple is a believer, a follower, and then, here's the key today, a multiplier. A multiplier. And this is ministry. A person who is following Christ reproduces their life of faith in the lives of others. Again, that, that's just basic as we're going to see today. You have to have all of these together. There is certainly learning involved in all three of those components but it must be uh, that combination, believing, following, and multiplying. Discipleship then, or making disciples, is cultivating that in others, okay? So let's look at... Probably one of the clearest examples of what I just described in our New Testament. This is in 2 Timothy 2, 1 and 2. You've probably heard this at some point in your Christian life, but let's come at it with fresh eyes and ears. Let's see what God might want to show us about making the most of our time. Okay, 2 Timothy 2, 1 and 2. Paul writes, You then, my child, writing to Timothy... Be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Now, just two verses there. It's very short, but it is full of significance in terms of how we understand The Christian life. Keep in mind, this is 2 Timothy, the second letter that Paul wrote to Timothy. He may have written others. We don't have them in our Bibles, but we know that this is the last correspondence he has with Timothy before he dies. So think about a person at the end of their life and they're trying to give, like, you gotta remember this, okay? That's the context for this letter that Paul is writing. Now, let's look through verse 1 and let's see how he addresses Timothy. First of all, he starts with an emphatic personal address. He says, you then. Not to get all detailed and tight here, but I'm just trying to help us catch some things. Paul is saying, you then, which points back to a contrast with what he just described in chapter 1. So what did he describe in chapter 1? He wrote about... All of the believers in Asia who had deserted him because he went to prison for Christ. These are supposed disciples. They left him. They're like, hey man, this is too much for me. Good luck, Paul. They deserted him except for one. One Ciphras is his name. And Paul talks about how this guy just went to the greatest lengths to find him, to support him, to encourage him, to come alongside and partner with him in the mission. It sounds like one Ciferous was making the most of his time. So you, Timothy, don't be like the deserters who bugged out when it got too hard be like Onesiphorus who despite the challenges, despite the hardships, he just pushed further in and committed to the mission. You then Timothy resist the temptation to run. Secondly, he gave he gives him an enduring an endearing appeal. He calls him my child. That's pretty cool. He views Timothy as his spiritual lineage. He he has invested his life in this young man. He's given him everything that he could, and he's done it relationally. Again, so if we're trying to understand discipleship, it's not this cold, calculated process like going to school. Remember, it's learning, but it's relational. And a discipler doesn't just give away information. They give away their lives, their heart in the context of relationships, So Paul says, you then, Timothy, my child, be strengthened. Be strengthened. It's an earnest command. Now, that is a command, so it's assuming that Timothy, as godly as he was, must have needed to be strengthened just like all of us. So discipleship doesn't eliminate our need for strength. He's actually telling him, Timothy, this is going to be something you're going to need and you don't have within yourself, so you're going to need to go find it. And that's what's interesting about this is he, he's not saying, Timothy, I want you to passively wait for strength to find you. He says, be strengthened, actively pursue strength. And you're going to need it if you're going to be faithful, if you're going to avoid desertion and stay in the mission. You're going to need strength. From where? He describes, Paul describes, an endless supply in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. That's where he points Timothy. There is a strength that comes from Christ which cannot be gained in any other source. Now, you and I might go a lot of places to try and strengthen ourselves. Paul is saying, this is it. This is the source that you desperately need and that is available to you. To go without this strength is to be deficient in the worst way, especially if you're trying to make room for the mission Now, Paul has been strengthened in this way countless times. So this isn't just a little pep talk for Timothy. He's saying, Timothy, listen, I've been beaten, shipwrecked, uh, humiliated, rejected, abandoned. All that's happened to me. And I'm telling you that if you'll get your strength from Christ, it will be all that you need to stay at it, to persevere. And to make the most of your life. So this is the voice of experience. You then, Timothy, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. To what end? That's the question. What, why is Paul telling him to do this? Look at verse 2. What you have heard from me. This is another command. In the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. If you're to summarize these two verses together, it's this. By God's grace, get in the race. By God's grace, verse 1, get in the race. Verse 2, it's a gospel relay. This is the strategy that was given from Christ to his disciples and passed on down again and again now for centuries within the church. Paul first mentions this gospel relay in chapter 1. So this is actually a little bit of a repeat, but some clarification. Let me read to you in verse 1 what Paul wrote to Timothy. He said, Timothy, follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me, In the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus, by the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, here it is, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. So that's his first command that he is supposed to take care of. And again, if I'm Timothy, I'm going, so how do I guard it? What does that look like? Well, it doesn't look like kind of, Getting back in a dark room and locking the door and just protecting it. That, that's not the picture here. It's a gospel relay. That's what verse 2 is helping us see. Notice in verse 2, the, the gospel, the message first came from Christ to Paul. Paul passes it on to Timothy. Timothy is told to give that away to faithful men, and then they are assumed to have, willed, that they'll give it later to others. Now, if you are a Christ follower, if you have placed your faith in Christ, you're in that lineage. He's talking about you. You could just put yourself, you're the others. And it's been going on for centuries. But do you see, this is Paul's strategy for fulfilling the mission: it's passing along these sound words. Now, I have a, just a wonderful example of this, just real time, right here today, um, that I'll share with you. Um, it, it's related to my wife, Kimberly. If you see her, her today's her birthday. So say happy birthday to her. That'll totally shock her. Um, 29. Uh, okay, so check this out. Kimberly was led to Christ years ago. By a gal named Nancy Vincent in Clarksdale, Mississippi, and that lady poured into Kimberly's life and discipled her. Then she and I married. We moved to Little Rock, Arkansas, and another gal came along, a gal named Debbie Wright. She's a little further down the road. She had kids and all that. We didn't have a clue what we were doing, so Miss Debbie comes alongside Kimberly and just pours her life into my sweet wife. When we moved to Murfreesboro, Tennessee... Kimberly meets this sweet young gal named Nicole Henderson. She's a part of our initial core group, just 25, right 25 people right out of college, married to Austin, and uh, Kimberly begins spending a lot of time with her, pouring into her what had been given to her previously. Interesting, years later, Nicole initiates with this other young gal. Her name is Abby Howard Waldron. And, so, and Abby's like, would, would you be willing to mentor me? How about that? And then I just recently heard, there's this other little girl, and her name is Annalise Henderson. And she has an interest in being mentored by Abby Howard I should say Waldron Howard. I got that backwards. Please forgive me, daughter. Um, So look at that lineage. Six generations. From Nancy to Debbie to Kimberly to Nicole to Abby and then to Annalise. None of them are superheroes. None of them are super saints. They just faithfully gave away what was given to them. And they did it over time. It's just a cumulative effect. They just poured their lives into another. And the fruit is just staggering. It's just awesome to see. So what's the key here? I think there's one word that just jumps off the page. It's interest. In trust. That's what Paul is really telling Timothy to do. What you heard from me, that content that you got entrust that to others, to faithful others. Now, that word entrust is a legal banking kind of term, so it does have the idea of giving something to another for safekeeping, but it's not just that. It's not just safekeeping it's to it's to put someone in a position not only as a garden, a guardian but as an executor it's like there's supposed to be something done with it and it's been given to you so you can make sure it gets successfully delivered that's the idea of entrusting it's never meant to be just merely personal consumption it's not just for you to get and have and enjoy all by yourself for the rest of your life. It's totally meant to be given to you for public distribution. That's always been the model. It will always be the model until Jesus comes back. Let me give you a couple of examples. Uh, Jeff talked about the Thessalonians last week. 1 Thessalonians 1, 6 through 8, listen to this. And you, Thessalonians, you became imitators of us and of the Lord... What we gave to you in terms of the gospel, the truth about God. And you turned right around and you gave it to everybody you could, everywhere you went. And it's so far spread now that Paul says, when I show up in a town, they've already heard. I don't have to say anything. All I have to do is come in and and now help uh, in the maturing process with the church that is there. Uh, Peter writes in 1 Peter 3.15, but in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. There it is. Entrust this amazing message and all of this wisdom that God's given you. Entrust that to others who will be able to give it away as well. Now this strategy, this gospel relay, didn't begin with Paul, it began with Christ. He gave it away to 12, and we know that as the Great Commission, Matthew 28, 19 through 20. Go therefore and, say it loud, Amen. make disciples, yes, go. Go. Therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe, to obey all that I have commanded you. Now, that's a command. So right here in this one commission, we have those three characteristics of a disciple. We have belief, we have following, and then we have multiplication. And just understand, there's really three big commands. We can sort of put all of the Christian life in there. Love God, right? Love your neighbor and make disciples. That's it. If you can do those three things, you are way down the road in terms of your walk with Christ. That's the gospel relay. That is our legacy It's the practical outworking of this vision that we have of intimately walking with Christ Jesus, our Lord. It's the aim of Paul's prayer, right, that we would be fit, faithful, and God-honoring. So all that together tells me that deep roots go hand in hand with discipleship. If we want to be rooted and grounded in him, it has to have room for discipleship in our lives. It's the essence of our call. It's the ministry of multiplication. And here's the best thing of all. It's happening. It's happening right here, right now. I want to give you an opportunity to hear about it. Check this out.
1: Great blessing for us has been A, working in partnership with another couple in training mentors, B, being in fellowship with these mentors for a year at a time and just enjoying a, a common passion for marriage, and C, and maybe more surprisingly but more important, is seeing the relationships that develop between those mentor couples and the couples they've been mentoring and, and seeing how that has just been uh, more than just a mentoring relationship. It's brought about great lifelong friendships. I just love the life in teenagers. They're just full of energy and they're just so young. They're just so just, you know, they do crazy things at times, but then times, man, they're just, they got so much passion. And so they really inspire me. We've got, you know, 145 parents in our ministry. We've got, you know, 115 uh, students in our middle middle school and high school ministry, you know, 15 college kids, uh, 24 leaders, and like close to like 300 people. So I think a big dream of mine would be that like if, man, every single single one of those persons just were so overwhelmed by the love of Jesus as they followed Him, and then they became uh, and, and they were just like so excited that they were like, hey, there's there's one other person out there that I could really give my life to. You know, there's one other person in my in my path that maybe doesn't know Jesus that I could share the good news of Jesus with. And if and if over the next year that that one person they poured into and that person came to Christ and they showed them how to follow Jesus and just that that process of that became a lifestyle and they lived that out forever. You know, as you multiply that out, that just becomes, uh, you know. Thousands and thousands of, of people in our city have hope, have life. But My favorite part is how
0: kids start coming out of their shell. You know, like how kids are at first very, like, know, like, reserved, like, and then all these things start coming out, like, oh, I play flute, I play trumpet, I play whatever. It's like, all right, well, come on, you know? But just getting them uh, to the point where they start helping each other. That's the coolest part.
1: One thing I love about serving the 11th and 12th grade girls is to see uh, these girls um, grow in their relationship with the Lord and with each other, and um, and it's been an encouragement to see their desire to be a light and a witness in
0: their schools.
1: Thing that i love about serving in children's ministry it's not just that i only that i love children because i do i adore children uh, and it's not just that we need people to be back there to serve in children's ministry because we do um, but it's because that that is a place where i can be part of what's going on in this in the life of this church um, as we make room they have said recently making room for the mission Cultivating Connected Followers of Christ, that's, that's the mission field that is closest to my heart and closest to proximity to this body every Sunday morning is in the borough. I love that they are eager to come each week and to learn about Jesus, sharing the truth of the gospel with them and for them to be receptive to hear it. Um, I love to see their smiles. Um, I love to hear them come back and tell me about the story or to point up on the wall and say, I found out why. This old guy was crying. He was so sad that um, this is, he remembered what the temple used to look like and now he's seeing the temple rebuilt. So them putting the pieces together um, of the huge story is amazing.
0: I just love that we make a special spot for single moms and their families and that their kids are just as important as they are. Um, And I love seeing that the Lord called up other women who, you know, didn't even know they had a passion for this ministry. They were just walking where the Lord called them.
1: I have seen God at work in the lives of women of fellowship. They are on fire to do the next step, and that's exciting. When there's an awakening happening here, fellowship among the women, a desire to not only go deeper with the Lord, but to do the work that He desired them to walk in before the foundation of the world. I mean, Ephesians 2.10, right? That we are God's masterpiece. We are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do work that He planned beforehand. And that's exciting to see that happening.
0: more of that, huh? Isn't that awesome? Yeah. It is encouraging to me that it's happening, and I know that that we have so much more potential, so much more capacity to be engaged in this beautiful redemptive mission that our Savior has given us. Um, I want to wrap up with just a a couple of statements that are just biblical assumptions that hopefully summarize everything that I've said so far. And then I want to give us something that may help us remember kind of our mindset. Um, First of all, everyone, everyone needs to be discipled. Every single person in this room. And you will never, ever get to a place where you no longer need that. You'll always need somebody pouring into you. Um, Kevin DeYoung says this, uh, the one indispensable requirement for producing godly, mature Christians is godly, mature Christians. That makes sense, doesn't it? None of us know what to do without somebody telling us. That's always been true within the church. So everyone needs to be discipled. Everyone, I hope that you'll believe this if you haven't already, Everyone is called to be a discipler, to make disciples. That's just as fundamental to your walk with Christ as anything else that you do or will do. The Great Commission was modeled by Jesus and the disciples and Paul, and it's just gone on and on and on. It's a privilege that's been afforded us that we get to be a part of that. And then lastly, discipleship is demanding. It requires time, energy, um, persistence, humility, perseverance. I'll tell you this, discipleship in my life has never been convenient. I've never just been sitting around with free time and just thought, you know what, maybe I could disciple somebody. I've always had to say no to something else so that I could say yes to this. It's always been true, but I've never regretted it. It's always been worth it. Now, the biggest obstacle that I feel and that I've always heard is I just don't have time. So we're asking God to help us make room for the mission of God, which means we're hoping to make the most of our time. So how do we do that? I want to give you a a picture of two kinds of lives. And uh, all of us have stuff to do, without a doubt. And um, there's three categories. If we just put all of our stuff, all of our activities, there's the trivial, there's the urgent, and there's the strategic. Okay, so all of us that all of what we do falls into one of those three categories, and it's interesting um, the trivial and the urgent. It's amazing how much time each of those things get, isn't it? So here's how most people just like they just react to life. This is how it works. We're going to let this uh, this bird seed represent the trivial. So here's what happens. We get up every day and we just start doing whatever comes our way. Whether that's media stuff or uh, just a new hobby or what, like it's all stuff and it's not even necessarily bad stuff but it's trivial. Like we can take it or leave it. It's not essential to life but man, it sure takes up a lot of time, doesn't it? And then... There's that urgent stuff, like I got to pay bills, and I got to go to work, and I got to mow the yard, and like there's stuff that everybody has to do. You don't get to opt out of this. So I'm going to do that for sure. You can bet. I'm going to make sure that stuff gets done, right? And then I go to church, and this knucklehead tells me that I got to make disciples. That sounds like a big rock. So I'm going to try and fit it in. So I'm going to get my, my big rocks here. And like family, like faith, work, all that stuff. Man, I am going to do my best to somehow, I'm just going to do my best to fit it in there. Does that look familiar? You feel that? Does it feel like I'm asking you today to just cram a big rock into your life to make room for that? It'll never happen if the trivial gets the priority. See, we get to decide. We can't make more room. We can't get more time. But we can decide what we do with our time. And we can put greater priority on some things than we do on others. So let me give you a different picture. This is a picture of a life where you take the big rocks and you go, you know what? This is number one priority. This is what I do first before I do all the other stuff. So those go down in the bottom. That's just that's what I do. I make a habit of that. And then I'm just like everybody else. I got stuff I gotta do. There's stuff I gotta take care of every week. So I start putting in these urgent but meaningful rocks. I get those in there. And I still got all this trivial stuff. I I wonder if it'll fit. Let's just see. Let's give it a try. So every day I get up and I'm, I've, I've got things prioritized. I'm trying to do things in order. So I keep working at it. How about that? It's still all fit. But the big rocks fit. And the urgent stuff fits. I'm about the things that God tells me are the most important. So, no one's ever going to determine how you spend your life. You get to decide that. I want to give you a little exercise this morning as a so what. Everybody had one of these on their chair. And I want to make sure that we think about discipleship from a relational perspective. And so um, we've given you an appointment card for one hour. So this next week, this is your excuse, okay, to make an appointment with someone. And as it says on there, the power of one hour, you never know what God might do with an hour you invest in the life of another person. So as we prayerfully consider a so what this morning, I want you to do two things, First of all, I want you to go back to your outline, and I have three boxes next to the gospel relay. I want you to put your name in the middle, and then I want you to think about who's pouring into you and who are you pouring into. That's your first thing. And then second thing, I want you to begin. You may not figure this out today, but I want you to prayerfully ask God, Lord, I want to make room for the mission. I want to make the most of my time... Bring somebody to mind where I can schedule this appointment and cultivate this relationship, a life-changing relationship with another person, either in our church or out in the world. Okay? Take a moment and prayerfully consider those two things.